0: The steps and the processes here, but uh, I think that's what's next: is to let the kids be dismissed, and uh, we're excited to to have that generation represented in our midst, and so they'll be ministered to at their level uh, in the Treehouse Ministry. So, praise God! Good to see everybody here today. We're going to dive into Genesis chapter three here in just a moment and uh, get a little bit of feedback, but um, we'll get that sorted out as well. So. If you have any questions during the sermon, during the message, just uh, note the telephone number up there. At the end of the message, we'll give you an opportunity to, uh, hopefully, ask a question and and, and get a satisfying answer. If not, well, um, Google it. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But we'll do our best to try to answer those questions as they come in. Um, Obviously... I'm not a mind reader, so I don't know what, what is running across your mind as I'm up here speaking, and so we're excited to have you 20 here today, and we're we're continuing as a series here called Origins, and again, it is just that. This is the book of beginnings. A lot of first mentions are in the book of Genesis because uh, of the narrative and the nature of that narrative. It is going to get us to hopefully a baseline of understanding so that we can um, manage life with, with uh, uh, a proper and healthy and biblical worldview. I am so grateful for the Word of God, and I can't say it enough. Every time I get an opportunity to preach, I try to emphasize the importance of Scripture. It's an inerrant and infallible book. It is reliable, it is trustworthy, it is true. It is timeless, and it is a foundational resource. We get a, we get a, what's, what's in the glove box of most of your cars, all right? Let me just illustrate it this way. Registration, insurance, something else. Maybe the guys in the room, maybe the owner's manual, right? I mean, this is what's going to help you. My wife organizes things for me, but I fix things. So uh, I'm thinking owner's manual. She's thinking, don't get pulled over without your registration here. Put it in your glove box. But uh, absolutely, this is, a, this is the manual for life. The Word of God is, is the truth that we need to help us figure out how to operate and, and function well. And so it's important, we just sang about the hope and the resurrection and the, the, that, that glorious moment, but we have to rewind the tape to figure out why any of that was relevant, important, or even necessary. So we go back to Genesis. Genesis orients us and grounds us and gives us those, those foundational truth, truths that help us understand the bigger picture. What's going on? I remember speaking with somebody and they made the comment, well, why did Jesus Christ have to die anyway? They didn't understand Genesis. They didn't understand origins. They didn't understand maybe that third chapter in Genesis that we're about to look at here today. And so I want to encourage you to follow along as we just get things started here in just a moment reading the scriptures. But chapter 2 closes, right? Genesis chapter 2 closes with, with a theme that's running throughout. The theme is that everything was good, right? After each day, as, as uh, the day would wind down and the creation for that day was concluded, the, 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 the theme was that it was good, right? And this is important because this is going to carry over into chapter 3. And uh, so we want to make sure that we, we review a little bit, yes, for those that weren't here last week or the week before, but also so you can see that there is a, there's a continuity of thought, there is a connective uh, theme that's going throughout. And so we, we have this theme of it being good man and woman had dominion over the creation there was there was a beautiful I don't know if you study creation in depth but one thing that popped for me one day when I was studying Genesis and the creation story was that before he ever created the thing he created the environment for the thing right before he created the birds to to fly in, in, in the sky he created the atmosphere that is most suitable for them before he created the sea life he he created the the environment that was suitable for him, for them before he created the man and and all the creatures and the plant life he created the platform that that they were to, to to survive in and on and and so this this is a beautiful thing when god created it was good everything was in perfect harmony and 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 systematically was functioning functioning well there was perfect fellowship between the 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 creator and the creation um, couldn't have gotten any better. Uh, I think Trace mentioned maybe last week or the week before that it was paradise. It was, was, yes, the Garden of Eden, but it was a perfect, unblemished place until we get to chapter 3. Everything would change. It would be a dramatic shift in the way things were. The decision of one person changed it all. It's where we're at today. We're still in this faulty state. I mean, God bless America, yes, and we have a great country, yes, and there are a lot of still beautiful things that we can appreciate, but it it is not perfect. It is incredibly flawed. You know, I went running this morning, and my left hip reminded me of my frailty. You know, I'm like, man, why does my body always have to hurt? We, we are products of the fall. We are descendants of Adam and Eve. Not a perfect state, but a broken. Reflecting the image of God, yes, but a faulty image. Do you ever go to the, the, those carnivals and they've got those, those uh, goofy mirrors that you go through the little trailer that, the, 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 that they pull and park and they set up and you walk in one door, go through this little maze and you're seeing yourself tall and skinny. Um, some taller and skinnier, some now looking quite normal, but anyway, the, the fact of the matter, these images are distorting us. We're all wavy. Um, we are shaped in iniquity. Yes, after the image of God, but David says we're shaped in iniquity because now that image is flawed. One day things will be made right. One day things will be perfect. That is still a future state, the hope that God has given us, and we'll see that, uh, that something took place in Genesis that, that interrupted and altered all of this from Genesis chapter 3. and So... With that, let's go ahead and look at the scriptures here this morning. If you have your Bible, Genesis chapter 3, we'll be reading. I'd like to read just one verse, verse 1, as we, we get things started. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So we are introduced, again, this is the book of origins, a book of beginnings, a book of maybe... First mentions, this is the first mention of this serpent. Now we have the whole Scripture, and anybody that's been in Christianity or in church for a very long time, they understand who this is. But uh, for Adam and Eve, in the garden, I, um, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but, but, but here, think about this for a minute. Adam and Eve were created with age, right? I believe we see two madul- mature adults in the garden. Their bodies represented age, which in our minds, it's hard to separate from experience. We have age, so therefore we have experience. We have knowledge. We have a history. Adam and Eve were created with age, but no history. Does that kind of blow your mind for a minute? I mean, they have now really just in innocence. They have a, an adult mind, but yet no history, no wisdom, no no. No background of lessons learned, best practices, you know, Um, it is, it is just, just, everything is interesting and, and it's curious to them. Little Luther runs around our house on Friday night, I mean, literally runs around and, and is trying to experience everything. Most things go in his mouth, you know, and uh, don't chew the electrical cord, you know, (laughs) Uh, because he doesn't have, there's an innocence, right? There's not an awareness of the dangers that are out there. This is where we find Adam and Eve, okay? We, we read this, and I want to make sure that we don't just make assumptions as we read the Scriptures, that we have, a hopefully, a fair and, and, a, and a proper understanding of what that must have been like. I wasn't there. We don't know. We don't, we don't have a thorough history. But we have enough information to be foundational and helpful. And so the Adam and Eve that we read of in the Garden of Eden had maturity but no history. They had maybe... Um, A knowledge base, but, but real no wisdom. Do you know the difference between knowledge and wisdom? How many have heard this before? If you've talked to me and heard me. Difference of knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge says tomatoes are fruit. Wisdom says you don't put it in fruit salad. Just let that settle for a minute. There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. We can have information, but how to use that information properly and appropriately. Some of you are getting it. You just look to your spouse and say, yeah, I understand what he just did. It's too late to laugh, but that's okay. Um, so the, the, the fact of the matter is, is we're looking at Adam and Eve in a very innocent state, okay? Vulnerable. Just as our toddler's running around the house wanting to chew electrical cords and putting screwdrivers into outlets. I mean, there, there's danger out there. So the Adam and Eve that we read of in the scriptures are are, are introduced for the first time to the serpent, and we know who this serpent is. Do we have a a reference to Revelations here? We'll go from the first book to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 9, or 12, verse 9. It says, the great dragon who was thrown down, the ancient serpent, reference to Genesis, okay, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the world, okay, back to the reference of Genesis again, And he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. I'm not going to get into the eschatological understanding and, and discussion here. We're not gonna do an exhaustive study on who Satan is and and, and, and demonology and, and you can go to the Martin's house, I think. Is that the study that you're doing there on Friday night? So uh there are opportunities for you to dive in and get deeper. Today just wanna to mention that that when we read the serpent here, even is not aware of who it is um, from our Christian and, and, and study of scriptures, our biblical perspective. We can tie things together. There is is definitely a a link that we could build or or an argument that we could build that the serpent here in the the garden is this this great dragon, the serpent of old. Verse 2 of chapter 20. And he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Again, see the connection between Satan. If there's any, any question who this is, I don't think of the ancient serpent that we read of in Genesis here. Um, we we are worth. It's worth noting that uh, that it's that it's this this being this created being. Go back to can we, can we put first one back up of Genesis three. Serpent was more crafted than any of the beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. So so want you see this that he is not. Um, He he is a created being. He is not equal with God. I think that's important because it is not God's rival. A rival would imply an equality. There is is a being that is being created. He is, if we see him as a fallen angel, which I believe he is, they are still created beings. Powerful beings, yes, but created beings. Not equal with God, not a rival, not, not a comparable threat. It's not the yin and the yang, you know. Um, it, is, it is a created being who still is subject to the divine, to our creator. We need to point that out. Not only was it a created being, but in this text we can see that he was an intelligent being, right? His intelligence is marked by the fact that he can communicate in, in, in their language. And Eve didn't question it. It's like, it's like Balaam and his donkey, right? That donkey talking to him and he just carried on a conversation. I mean, to me, that's not normal. Um, but what did Eve know? Everything was intriguing in the garden, right? Everything was fascinating. Hey, Adam, come check this flower out. You know, hey, Adam, look at this snake is talking. You know, uh, there, there's, there's just a, just a fascination. I, I don't even think they, they questioned it in my mind. I think it was just this curiosity this 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 uh, innocence and this serpent however is maybe the embodiment of that being Satan himself uses the serpent I think as a means to communicate to Eve in the garden as he is uh, again intelligent not only his ability to speak but I think is in his purpose and his intent Questioning the divine, right? We'll get into the, uh, the nature of the temptation in just a minute here, but I wanted to finish with verse 1 talking about his character. Created being, intelligent being, and he is a crafty being. In the word crafty there in verse, verse 1, just a few words in. This is interesting. It is the word arom. In the Hebrew, A-R-U-M, and I'm not going to go deeply into this, but it is a neutral word. It's used eight times in Proverbs to describe the prudent man, contrasted against the foolish man. And so it is not necessarily crafty in, in, in a, the word itself is not meant to be a negative word. The context have to, has to dictate that. So here in this case, we see the agenda, we see see the intent is not pure. And so when we read the word crafty, we can can come to the conclusion that it is is this shrewd, um, uh, with malintent approach to tempt and lure Adam and Eve away from from that place of innocence and purity before God to to, um, a place of sin. But I thought was also interesting in verse 25. Do we have 225 next? And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And this is interesting. This is from chapter 2. Trace covered this last week, but I didn't realize this. And we won't realize this unless we dig a little deeper in our study. The word naked, you know what that is in the Hebrew? Arom. What was crafty? Arom. Two different words, but they sound exactly alike. It's a wordplay that the Hebrew, that the Moses, the author, uses to the original readers to, I think, somehow tie this, these books together. It, it is A-R-O-M, meaning naked. Yes, yeah, somebody said it in the back. What does it mean? It means naked, yes. <laughs> but it also is the same sounding word. And unless the context was, was clear, you know, it would be hard for somebody to understand just audibly what the difference was. But literally sounding the same, just spelled slightly differently, with a very different meaning. And sometimes the Hebrew poetry and Hebrew writers would do that to engage the audience, to keep these thoughts connected from one chapter to the next. So he was a created being, he was an intelligent being, and he was a crafty being. And now we look at uh, the question that is posed. Referencing to the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Do we have uh, Genesis 2, 9? And then we'll follow it with 16 and 17. But let's go back. To what was the instruction? What did, did God say? And out of the ground the Lord made, a spring, made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight. I think that's inf- interesting. Kind of make a mental note of that. And good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So this verse points out the fact that, hey, God put it there. Part of the creation, part of Eden, in, in, in the midst of the garden. There that tree sat. Verse 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded, who does it say? The man. Just, just note that. Commanded the man saying, you shall surely eat of every tree of the garden. Verse 17. But out of the tree, or but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day, you eat of it, you shall surely die. Just hold that. What did Genesis 3.1 say? You remember it? Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? Is that what he meant? There's, there's, here's, here's where we have to really begin to be careful, even if we'd fast forward this to today, when we start doing kind of some mental gymnastics in our mind, trying to squirm out from under the authority of scripture and say, did God really mean that? What do we do? We tend to throw it within a cultural context. Well, that was way back then. This is now. It's different, right? Be careful when we start going down that road mentally. We start um, maybe getting squirming out from the authority of the scriptures because we're going to enter into a very dangerous place. And uh, um, it's just a warning. Did God actually say? We know who the serpent is. We understand that he was a deceiver, as we referenced in Revelation. We see that in, in the Gospels he's called the father of lies. I mean, And we read in 1 Peter, I think it says that, you know, uh, Peter warns us, watch out for the devil. He's like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Um, He's an adversary. Constant. Persistent. Crafty in his intent. And so he begins to question. And this is his nature, right? It's just what he does Man was warned. I thought this was interesting, too, from those references in uh, 16 and 17. Man was warned. What was he warned about? The serpent? No, I thought that was interesting. I didn't even know about the serpent. You know what? Because it really doesn't matter. They just needed to be obedient to what they were to be obedient to. Don't eat the fruit. Yeah, the tree in the midst of the garden... Of knowledge of good and evil, don't eat it. But we see what happens here in just a moment. Also, what else did the promise of Satan, um, or the the message of Satan here? Go back to three one. I appreciate whoever's clicking buttons there. Is that you, Trace. Thank you, because. Uh, 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 was it here? Let me see. Maybe it was later on, but anyway. One of the promises. Uh, I think this comes with the second comment. Okay. Let me let me let me hold off on that. I think it's down in verse five. We will get, we'll get there when we get there. But uh, the fact of the matter is, is um, I just want to make sure my notes didn't get jostled here. Yes, that's what happened. All right. So in this in this question it's almost as if satan says is there some knowledge that God has that you don't have is there good that he's withholding from you I've entitled the message within the the series is the quest for good and the quest for wisdom And, and and what I'm beginning to see in this particular text is that there is a there is from 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 the serpents perspective there's there's good And there's wisdom that God hasn't given you. He's withholding it from you. And you could have it if you just listened to me. But the whole theme of Genesis so far, that everything that God was doing was for the good of man, and I think ultimately for his glory. But now God is holding good. Now God is withholding, at least from, from this particular question, knowledge, wisdom. And Satan is offering that through this forbidden tree, and so that's where we find the woman. In verse two, we'll continue. You're holding on to that thought. And the woman said to the serpent, "We may eat of the true uh, eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden." Verse three, true, right? So far, so good. But God said, "You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden." So far, so good, right? Maybe heard this before and and read it before and noticed it before, but neither shall you touch it, touch it lest you die. That next statement, or at least the touching part, is not what was given in in chapter two, was it? Okay, why do you think why do you think this was added? Well, I, I'm not expecting a dialogue here. I, I think it would be very complicated to try to field field your answers. But one of the, one of the things is maybe maybe because. Because that's what Adam told her. Because who told Adam? Or, or actually, God told Adam, right? He didn't speak to Eve. So how did Eve get this information? Was she, she, she in his hip pocket there, standing next to him, hearing it from, from God firsthand? And then, uh, or, or did she hear it from her husband, Adam? I don't know. But either way, we see that the command was directly given to man, and then somehow man passed that on to the woman. Or whether the woman received it and had did Simone uh, translating to what was said, or maybe what was intended. It was not a, a proper understanding. That's the problem. Now, did Adam add to it to protect his wife? We could, we, could, we could ask a lot of questions here, and I don't have the answers. But I'm wondering, see, the danger is, and I think the danger of this is, particularly, is if we begin to add to Scripture, we either become legalistic, or we become theologically incorrect. Okay. Either way, there's a warning, there's a danger there. We get to the book of Revelation and it says, don't add away, add anything or take away from anything in this book or you're going to incur the judgments of this book. And it's serious just warning to take scripture as it is. Don't add to it, don't take away from it. What we see right from the beginning is the Eve added to the word of God and it only created problems. Now, whatever rationale you want to put to that or any explanation that helps you process it in your mind, um, you know we, we 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 can do that, but I think we need to recognize what did the scripture say? It says she shall not eat of it, lest you die. And she says, let's let's just not touch it even. And that's probably a good thing, but it's not what God said. We should be able to set some boundaries in our own life. You know, for some of us, we just say, well, I just I don't even want to drink because I know where that's going to take me. And to, to argue from the scriptures that we should never drink is is hard. You know, but we need to set some boundaries. But I can't say that that's what the scripture says you should never drink because it, that argument will fall apart. Other things, too. We need to set some boundaries. But make sure it does not what the word of God is, is. My wife and I, here's a good story. We didn't kiss before we got married. Nobody believed us. We dated for about two years, 20 months or so. And uh, our first kiss was on, on our wedding day. Now, is that scriptural? No. But to try to impose that on people... Um, would, would be really unrealistic and unfair. But it was a decision we made. It's, my thought was, if I never go to first base, I'm never getting home. So uh, uh, you know, I wanted to make sure that I was just keeping this relationship as pure as possible. Right? So um, and, and we were mutually agreed. Now, it doesn't mean we were always individually strong, but we were mutually agreed. And so when one was vulnerable, the other said, hold on, Mr. Sweet Lips. Um, <laughs> We made a decision, and I was like, hmm, "You're right. Back off. Take a step back." But, but there are that wasn't scriptural, right? But it was very practical. This wasn't scriptural, but it was very practical. It was it was a way that that maybe made it made sense, and it was okay. But don't quote God as saying it. That became dangerous. Just want to watch. I want to caution caution you on that because. uh, because we, we, we can, and, and, and we see it, very legalistic churches that impose rules upon people uh, to control their behaviors and somehow say that it's what God said. And I, th- I think that's, that's a tragedy. Let's see what the woman does now here. Verses 2 and 3. Um, she has the word. She, she, she says, you know, this, you shall surely die. And I'm trying to figure out where I'm at as the verses are scrolling here. So we talked about the woman's reply, verses 2 and 3. And the serpent's response, let's go to 4, that's where we want to go. But the serpent said to the woman, ah, you won't die. This is a crazy thing. I mean, the serpent speaks twice and he just totally interrupts and offsets the balance of obedience and trust. And, and the good that was happening in the garden. You know, here, here, here's what we find. God would provide good. God would provide wisdom. When they obeyed and trusted him. Verse 5. For God knows that when you eat. Of it, your eyes will be open and you will be, what does it say? Like God. Whoa, 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 let's stop there a minute. Weren't they already like God? He, 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 is, he is offering up something that, that is really already theirs. And, and when we think about this in a very present term and ter- time, that we are still created after the image of God. And the more that we, I think, discover and, and understand and appreciate the divine, God Himself, and the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we, we do that through obedience and trust in His direction, His leadership in our lives. We don't do it on our own or listening to the, to the direction of the command of the devil. And if we were to look at the, what really the problem was here, it was a quest. Here's where we the whole point of the message it was a quest for good and wisdom apart from God. That was what it was. It wasn't just a general rebellion, it was a very specific thing. They wanted it. God wants it for us, but on his terms through trust and obedience. And this is the power control thing, you know, Satan is trying to have what God has control over creation, and influence upon man. You know, when we we get to the New Testament, we see Jesus Christ in all, um, I think it's all four Gospels, the temptation of Jesus Christ by Satan. He's fasted, he's in the wilderness 40 days, and Satan hits him three times. You know, it reminds me of, uh, I think, later on in the New Testament, we read that we are tempted with uh, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. All those three keep showing up from Genesis here in our story to uh, to, to Jesus in the garden and to to the everyday Christian life. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. I think that is contained here in the the garden story. She saw it was good for food. She thought it could make her wise. I mean, all these things start appearing. Christ, you know, was was attacked in very much the same way. And and, and it wasn't that he couldn't turn the the stone to bread, but who was telling him to turn the stone to bread? It was the enthusiasm. Influence and the authority of Satan, the demonic world, rather than the influence and the authority of the, the creator God upon the created world. This is really a power struggle between two, two, two spirit beings. Satan and God. And this is, this, is the, this, is, this is the target. It's humanity. It's you and me. And I think this is uh, uh, pretty clear in the scriptures. And so, in verse five, we saw that uh, again, knowing knowing good and evil. Just just so I don't forget later on, knowing's not a problem. Knowing good is not a problem. And and uh, it was the knowing evil. I heard something this week, and I, I'm, I work with Marines all day long, and I, I hear way more than I ever want to hear. Um, sometimes things that are very vulgar and graphic, and I'll just leave it at that. And I can't unhear some of these things. All right? I can't see unsee some of these things. I can't unexperience some of these things. I wish I could just rewind and hit delete and start all over again, but I can't. I can't unsee un. Unexperience and unhear even the things that happen in my own life personally or what I watch on the news. We live in a fallen, broken world directly related to the fall and that we'll see here in just a moment uh, of Adam and Eve. And, and it is because we now understand evil. You know, prior to this there was no death. Prior to this, there was no sin. There's no decay, there's no disease, there was none, none of that. It was a perfect and pure world. But here we are, the products of the fall. We we are descendants of Adam and Eve, and we, unfortunately, have a knowledge of evil. We know what it's like to do evil. We know it's like to experience evil, to be the victim of evil. Um, I don't know about knowing evil. God, in his infinite wisdom and capacity, can handle the knowledge of evil. We can't. You know, I deal with people all the time that come in my office that have had a traumatic experience. They're having a hard time understanding the knowledge of evil. It's a tape that plays over and over and over in their head. You know, the rape, the abuse, the, the hurtful words. The, 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 the things that have been done to them. They just can't shake. And it's, it's an awful thing, this knowledge of evil. God's saying, I'd just rather not have you have that. Do you want your kids to... We put restraints, right, on, on what they can do because we're like, you know what, I, I, I don't want you to have an understanding of what that's like. You know? Experimenting with drugs. It's a knowledge of evil. I don't want the knowledge of evil. You know? Pleasures of sin, as, as it says in Hebrews, for a season... Sin's fun for for a moment. Fruit was good to take a bite of, as we'll see in just a moment. But the consequences are awful. Just a warning here. The tree was forbidden for a reason, and God wasn't withholding anything that, that, that they should have had. He just didn't want them to have that. He wanted to have, what was the theme so far? Good. The knowledge of good, that's one thing, Yes. Wisdom of that is, yes, good, but it comes from him and not from the tree or being lured to the tree by this serpent that there is in the wilderness. And so, verse 6. And so when the woman saw, again, the lust of the eyes, the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, maybe that's the pride of life, she took the fruit and ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her. And he, ate. whoa, whoa, whoa wait, wait a minute. So Adam was there all this whole time? It like blew my mind. I'm like, Adam, what are you doing? You know, you're just sitting watching your wife engage in, in this conversation. And here's, here's what bothers me the most, that here is this man who, who was the head, the way that God created it. his wife was a help meet, uh, an assistant, a partner for life. And now she's taking the headship role, and he's passively sitting back watching all this unfold. Dude, why don't you defend your wife? This bothers me a little bit. I hope it bothers you. And when we see the roles flip, even in our society, in our own homes, we see things begin to fall apart. And Adam is there. Hey, honey, want a bite? You know, I'm like, really rattled me. Um. Without hesitation, without question, without, hey, honey, wait, do you think we should, um, no discussion? It, would, did the woman get targeted by a serpent? Maybe. You know, I don't, I, don't, I don't, again, no, we don't have all the details, we don't have all the, all the gaps filled. But there are a few red flags that popped for me, and this was one of them. She saw the tree was good, okay, she's beginning to rationalize in her mind. She's beginning to, to, so so the bait was set on the trap, the bait of good and the bait of wisdom was set up packaged real nicely on that trap and she begins to reach for it. It begins to make sense in her mind because she's now rationalizing, not obeying and applying what she understands to be true from the word of God. She acts on her own. And she says, I I want it because it looks good. It looks like it's going to taste good. um, And if it's going to make me smarter, um, wiser, um, absolutely. And she takes it and she gives it to her husband. And for the first time, they understand evil. Verse 7. Then their eyes were opened. They knew that they were what? Aram? Well, it it is a different word. So... It's E R O M. It is not just naked with what was twenty five. Did we have it there, Trace? Or I don't want you to go digging, digging way back. Okay. We're not ashamed. Been naked this whole time. They say in the South, naked. I don't know. I don't get it. But uh, <laughs> definitely a long A. Um, but anyway, so so we see that they weren't ashamed. Okay, and they were just very comfortable and good with each other. And we get to verse. Go back to verse. 7, that they, where did did it go? Um, Their eyes were open, knew that they were naked. Um, Actually, does that show up, I think? Verse 7, was it there? 6, okay. Was it 6, where it said naked and ashamed? Verse 7? Am I missing it? Oh, it doesn't say shame. Well, in the Hebrew, it does. Um, anyway, <laughs> that's what happens when I study the different translations. It all starts 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 getting mixed up in this this very frail old mind. Um, so they were naked. The, the Hebrew world, where it is, they were they 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 felt shame. And that's the behavior that follows, right? They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So there was this sense of embarrassment, shame. Sin will do that. But here's the problem. We've grown to a culture, now we're, we're, we're okay with sin. so okay with sin that our conscience are seared the way that the, 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 the scriptures say, like a hot iron. Deadening our, our spiritual nerve endings. You know, that we could just get away with sin and we don't even blush anymore. It's not even shameful, but it's celebrated. That's the unfortunate thing. We, we, we are in a very broken and fallen world. But they, they felt that shame. They felt that nakedness. And again, that erom, I'm probably pronouncing it six different ways here, uh, but uh, of, of verse 25 in chapter 2, uh, now is erom, E-R-O-M. It's, it's nakedness with shame. It's a little different. And so they cover themselves. Trying to deal with the problem themselves, right? But is this the solution? We'll find next week that it's not the solution. Um, It's a temporary, artificial solution (laughs) to a problem that only God can deal with. It reminds me of Ecclesiastes, and the the author of Ecclesiastes is unclear. We call him the preacher. Um, They. He says this, they sought wisdom, this kind of reminds me of Adam and Eve, apart from God, and found only vanity and toil. Isn't that the Adam and Eve story? They sought wisdom and good apart from God, but were left unsatisfied. So we get to the judgment here, and I'm only going to introduce it, Trace will finish it next week. We'll go through from 8 to 13. Uh, now, verse 8 says this. This is the scene, all right? So, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Lord God among the trees of the garden. So, what, was the, what are we supposed to do when we hear the voice of God? We're to obey the voice of God. They hear the voice of God, and they hide from the voice of God. See, see, where, see where now that things begin to fall apart? Even the reaction to God. There was sweet fellowship. There was sweet communion. There was nothing hindering them in the perfect state when, when all was good and even very good there in the garden in that first week when everything was just right. Now they hear God and they hide from God. By the way, can we really hide from God? But I love how God plays along. Look what happens next. It says when the Lord called him, where are you? You know. Okay, we'll play this game. We'll, we'll, we'll play hide-and-seek for a little bit, Adam, you know. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's got, he's got a, a clear understanding of where he is, and yet he calls him out. Because this is now where the trial becomes into, comes into play. You know, God is the judge and he is on, on, and Adam and Eve are on trial. God asks a series of questions, not that he doesn't know the answer to these questions, but he is trying to, it's like a lawyer, right? A lawyer will never ask a question that he doesn't know an answer to. Because he doesn't want any surprises in the courtroom. So, like God, he is the judge and he's going to ask questions that he clearly knows the answers to. But what it does is it forces the guilty to speak. And to own what was done. Verse 10. And he said, I heard the voice of you, or I heard the sound of you in the garden. And was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Verse 11. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And then the man said, I love this. Again, this is like, dude, she made me do it. (laughs) The woman that you gave me, and he blames God. It's like, well, you gave it to me, you know. I thought she was a help me, but she only created problems, you know. She gave me the fruit to eat. And I ate. Man, just own it, dude. You made a choice to sit back passively and watch your wife do these things. And then when you handed the fruit, you didn't resist. You said, okay, whatever. You took a bite of the fruit. It doesn't take away responsibility. You were entirely responsible. I'm the one who told you not to eat the fruit. Just take that parenthetical statement about all about your wife out. You ate the fruit. Verse 13. Or or 12, I didn't get 12, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry, I did read that. I think that means time's done here. The man said, and the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And she does the same thing. The serpent. She doesn't take responsibility, points the finger to him. serpent deceived me, and I ate. Each one is pointing to somebody else as, as, as the problem. Nobody's taking responsibility and ownership. No confession, no forsaking of these things, no obedience to, to begin with or trust in God to provide what's good and to provide the wisdom that is necessary. Because, again, they were in a place of innocence and they didn't have life experience created with age but no history and so no wisdom. They long for that. But unfortunately, went about it and got it the wrong way. Let me close with these final thoughts here. Quest for wisdom, apart from God. Look, this is maybe something you want to write down. I said it before. Wisdom and good sought for outside of God's provision will always, always leave you disappointed. Creates more problems. This is how sin entered into the world. It says in the New Testament by one man. That man was Adam see that verse in a minute. But the second point would be this. The consequences of the first couple's decision has affected all but one of the descendants of humanity. And we'll give you that person in just a minute. Let's get these uh, next couple of verses up here and I'll just wrap up with these. For all who sinned. You know, we can point a guilty finger at Adam, and we can criticize and Eve, their decision to take the fruit. Um, you know, we could play armchair quarterback all day long. I would, I would have done something differently. No, you wouldn't have. You know, we, we would have all been in that place of inter, in, innocence, place of curiosity, super vulnerable, and we would have made the same decision. But we can't, we, we, we can't change what has been done. We can't even change the fact that we are descendants of Adam and Eve, and we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God okay it's who we are by nature second 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 verses set of verses here it says therefore just the same sin came into the world by one man and death through sin Adam right and so death separate or spread to all men because all has sinned and then I think it's verse 19 whereas by one man's disobedient Adam Many were made sinners, us, by one man's obedience. Who is that? It's Jesus Christ. So I know we've been pretty, pretty serious about focusing on the fall and the decision of Adam need to take the forbidden fruit, disobey God, and, and seek wisdom and good outside of and apart from God. Um, but we also need to point to the solution. And I don't think it would be fair with us knowing the solution not presenting that solution I don't I'm not gonna spend a lot of time but I want to point you to Jesus Christ because we are all fallen guilty sinners facing the judgment of God we too will not only die a physical death but a promise eternal and second death apart from God which is for an eternity and I do not want anybody here to leave this room knowing that they've rejected the solution to the sin problem the person of Jesus Christ that one righteous the one obedient one Jesus Christ Died for you. And so, as we finish our, our points here, that one solution is found in Christ. You talk with Pastor Tracy, he'll be up here in a minute. Talk to myself or any of the other elders. Uh, we would love for you to have the opportunity to uh, invite Christ into your life to be the solution to that sin problem. And that's, that's I, I think, the message. That's the gospel. Yes, we had a problem, but God provided a solution to that problem so that we can return to an eternal state seeing all that was lost in the fall, and we're going to talk more about it next week, what was lost in the fall, but there will be more to come in that future day when what was lost will be restored. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ has brought us hope, brought us life, and is an answer to the sin problem. What the enemy took away, we see restored at the cross. Lord, help us to fight the urge, again, to revert to our own nature on a regular basis, Lord. Daily may we be triumphant and victorious over that sinful nature that so easily besets us and sets us back. Or Whenever we're longing for something that seems good or is, is going to make us wiser, Lord, may we understand ultimately that it it's from you. You will, as in the garden, give what is good. And so that we trust you with our lives and we pray that you would have your way. Even now, as we pray our hearts for the communion service and that we would uh, begin to maybe process a little bit more what we've heard here today. Touch hearts, Lord, we ask, and change lives through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.